If I were to ask you this morning how to describe your perfect day, how would you describe your perfect day? How would you describe a day that you can celebrate? Some of you would describe that perfect day as a day where you get a chance to travel to somewhere exciting or somewhere exotic that you've never been to. Some of you would say a perfect day would be when I wake up on a beautiful beach uh, in an island like Bora Bora or Tahiti with beautiful weather, drinking something and being able to soak my feet in warm water. Others would say the perfect day would be eating at a great meal at the best restaurant in the world. Others would say the best and perfect day for me would be to spend a quiet day where no one bothers me and I can curl up in bed reading an amazing book. And all of those seem like perfect day experiences and you may have your own. But sorry to burst your bubble. Unfortunately, the part of that perfect day in your mind is that the perfect day has to come to an end. You will have to come home from hanging out at the beach all day or from your vacation. If you don't, you will not have a job. That dinner you eat will have to end. You can't be in bed all day because you've got to work the next day. Unfortunately, the perfect day ends not so perfectly. And so when we describe the perfect day, what does it look like? Well, good thing the Bible gives us a picture of what the perfect day looks like. And it so happens, as we conclude our study in the book of Zephaniah, there is a picture of a biblical perfect day. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me this morning to the book of Zephaniah, chapter 3, verses 14 to 20. Zephaniah, chapter 3, verses 14 to 20, as we conclude our study in this amazing book. As you know, we've been talking about the great day of the Lord. And we have been challenging you how knowing the future helps us to live and encourage us in the present. And we come in chapter 3 to the biblical blessing portion of what this great day of the Lord will look like. So what does the perfect day look like biblically, specifically for the nation of Israel and applicationally for us? Let's take a look. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 14. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. As we talked about last week, glimpses of glory in verses 9 to 13, we looked forward to the day, the great day of the Lord, when Jesus will come back and establish his Davidic throne in the millennium, which extends into the new heavens and the new earth. It is a day of celebration, as verse 14 describes it. In the future, on that great day of the Lord, the people of the city of Jerusalem will be asked to shout for joy with all of their heart, to sing loudly. This is what marks a day of celebration, when there will be singing and shouting. And for a Jewish history full of sorrow and troubles, centuries of sorrows and troubles, it will end and give way to one of joy and celebration at the end. In fact, there is a charge for the people of Jerusalem to be glad and rejoice with all of your heart. This is not an artificial celebration. There is no fake joy in this. This is a time of genuine joy. And you know if there are people who are forced to be happy at celebrations, you ask them, are you happy? And they weakly say, yes. But here in verse 14 is a picture of real happiness, real celebration. 
Uh, when I picture this in my mind, uh, it, is this, is the, it is the same joy of when my children find out, as I announce to them, that there is no school tomorrow because of weather. They jump and they shout and they celebrate as if they've won the lottery. I don't want to burst their bubble to tell them that they will have to make up this day later on in the school year. But that sense of euphoria, unexpectedness, that joy, genuine happiness that they don't have to go to school, I think in a way mimics the picture here in verse 14. A celebration, a spontaneous celebration about what the future day of the Lord holds. But how does this day of celebration challenge us challenge us how to live perseveringly in the present? Well, let's take a look at verses 15 to 20. You see, there are three reasons why this great day of the Lord is indeed a day of celebration. Look with me in verse 15. The Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst you shall see disaster no more. The first reason of why this is a day of celebration, number one, if you're taking notes, is that this is a day of God's eternal presence. Number one, a day of God's eternal presence. It is the joy of knowing that God is always with his people and that he will commune with them face to face. Here in the textual context, Israel's Redeemer Israel's Messiah, the one the nation had previously rejected, will be with his people. And since he is there, he is in their midst, the Bible states very clearly in verse 15, that there will be no more judgments, there will be no more enemies, there will be no more disasters. They are safe in his presence as he is in their midst. You know, for us as believers, it is the same case as well. This beautiful picture of God's eternal presence with believers in the end is also echoed in the book of the Revelation, chapter 21, verse 3. In Revelation, chapter 21, verse 3, it says this, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. You know, it doesn't get as good as that. To have our Savior, to have our Messiah with us in our midst where we can look upon His loving eyes face to face. Let me ask you, is that something you celebrate? Is knowing that one day, in the end, the God we worship, the God we love, the God who died for us, will be with us in our midst? Do you wake up every morning with great anticipation saying, I can't wait. When Jesus comes again, because I'm going to celebrate that time when I'm with him face to face. The reason for most of us, honestly, that that truth doesn't excite us, if we're honest with ourselves, is because we don't have an intimate walk in fellowship with the Lord. And because we don't have an intimate walk in fellowship with the Lord, we don't love him. And because we don't love him deeply, we're not excited about that great day. When God promises us his eternal presence. You see, if you love someone deeply and they're taken away from you, whether perhaps they're moved abroad or perhaps they're taken from this world, your heart longs for them because you love them. And your hope and your joy 
is in the day when you will reunite with them again, when they come from abroad, when you see them in glory, and you will be with them forever. And your hope, your desire, because you love them so much, is that they will never leave you again. You see, if you say you miss someone terribly, and when you see them after many years, and your response is, Hi, it's wonderful to see you. You know you don't miss them. You know that there was not a depth of love there. But if there's a deep longing and love for someone to be with them, think of how you will react after not seeing them for many years, how you will long for them. You will hold them in your embrace. You will hold them in your arms. And you will not ever want to let them go. For those of you who love the Lord deeply, knowing that He will one day be in our midst, never to leave us, is certainly a day of celebration. You know, this principle is played out in the airports around the world daily. I love coming back uh, to Naia, not because it's a great airport, but I love the scenes when I arrive from a long flight, often from abroad. I love seeing the heartfelt reunions, especially of the overseas foreign workers, the OFWs, when they fly back. I see the loving embrace, the great reception they get. And I can imagine the joy of these husbands and wives who have not seen each other for years, these children who have not seen their fathers or mothers, and the joy of these loved ones in a tight embrace not having seen them for a long time. And it makes my heart feel soft and warm, full of joy for them. It's a wonderful reunion. It's a wonderful scene. And yet sometimes there's sadness in my heart. Why? Because I know that many of these workers will have to leave again. You know, sometimes I look upon their embrace and I get envious and I wish I get the same embrace when I come back from a long trip of preaching. I've hinted as much to my wife that it would be so good to have someone at the airport to greet me like that. And she will tell me, honey, you're not an OFW. You've only been gone for a week. I know she still loves me. I want to think so. But I know that me being away sometimes adds less stress to her life. But anyway, that's not the point. The point is this. When you love someone deeply, when you long to be with them, and to know that you will always be with them at that great reunion, that surely is a day of celebration. In verse 15, the Bible tells us, The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. It is a day of God's eternal presence. It doesn't get as good as that. A day in the future when we are in the presence of God face to face forever and He will never leave us and we will never leave Him. It is a day of celebration. Look at verses 16 and 17 with me. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion, let not your hands be weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. The Mighty One will save he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. The second reason of why the great day of the Lord is a day of celebration, number two, if you're taking notes, is that it is a day of God's rejoicing. Number two, a day of God's rejoicing. 
Here in verses 16 and 17, the nation of Israel is told again that they need not fear because God is with them. In fact, the Bible says he is mighty to save. And that famous song gets its line from this verse. He is mighty to save. The mighty one has the ability to save you and keep you safe. So don't worry. And God here is pictured as rejoicing that his redeemed people are back in the land that he has appointed them and given them. In fact, we are told in verse 17 that God is so happy, so glad that he cannot help but pour out his infinite, unconditional love upon his people. And the Bible tells us his outpouring of love is so great, we will be quieted in assurance of security and in awe. We will be rendered speechless. Look at that phrase. He will quiet you with his love. God rejoices in us. He is so happy that his redeemed people are with him. And that great day of the Lord, that he will lavish upon us his grace and his mercy and his love, and we will be rendered speechless. I know there are times when your husband or your wife or your boyfriend, or your girlfriend or your special someone gives you something very special or makes it a beautiful day where you are, you think, rendered speechless. And the only thing you can utter is thank you. But here it is times infinity. We will stand in the presence of God as, as his redeemed people. And we will experience the gladness of God that we are there. You know what? If you think about it, we should be the ones who are glad we are in glory. And yet the Bible tells us it is a day of God's rejoicing. He is so happy that we are there. Like the prodigal son, the prodigal daughter who has returned, he will lavish upon us his infinite, unconditional love that we are rendered speechless. That's why the Bible tells us, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has comprehended what God has prepared for those he loves. I don't know about you, but I'm excited. I'm undeserving. It is by his grace. And yet God says, I will rejoice over you in that day. There is no need to fear because the Bible says he delights in his people. Contextually, the people of Israel, but applicationally also to us. He is rejoicing over his redeemed with gladness. Now, what does that mean? You know, how do you know if someone is really delighting in you? If someone is delighting in you, he or she is speaking of your praise. He or she is honoring you. And that is exactly what the Bible tells us God will be doing in the future. He will rejoice over us. He will heap praises upon us. He will honor us. He's so proud that we, his redeemed children, are with him. Do you know when you were a child or you're a child, you remember that great feeling when your parents speak well of you in front of others with you standing there? Remember those times? When you're with your parents' friends and your parents lavish praise upon you, how do you feel? Well, at first you feel embarrassed because you're there. But deep down inside, it makes you feel good. My parents are proud of me. I've been affirmed by my parents. And that's what verse 17 is talking about. But so much better because this approval comes from the Heavenly Father. It comes from the one who created us. It is, comes from the one who breathed life into us. 
You know, I know some of you are heartbroken because you're looking for approval. You're looking for affirmation from your parents, your father, your mother. You're looking for affirmation. You're looking for approval from your friends, even from this world, and you don't get it. And so you do anything you can, especially to gain your parents' approval, to get them to say that they love you, to get them to say that they approve of how you have turned out. And unfortunately, for many of us, we don't get it, especially in the Asian families where Chinese dads aren't very expressive. I know that has broken the hearts of many. But don't worry, because the Bible tells us there is one who is rejoicing over Israel, and he rejoices over you as well. Remember what Revelations chapter 21, verse 7 says, echoing verse 16 and 17. Revelations 21, 7, He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God. And he shall be my son. God says of us, you are my son, you are my daughter, you are my child. God is never so proud of his creation. He calls us his children. He is proud of his redeemed children. He saved us. We should be so happy to be there. And yet God tells us he lavishes his praise upon us his redeemed children. In fact, he's so happy. Look at the end of verse 17. The Bible tells us he will rejoice over you with singing. I had to read that verse a second time, that part. Whenever you think of God, have you ever thought about a God who sings? And about a God who sings about you? But the Bible is very clear. He is so proud of us, he will sing over you. Now, I know that some of you have parents who are very proud of you and how you've turned out. But I can almost bet you that your parents have never sung about you. Have they? They have never written a song about you. They've never sung about your greatness. And yet the Bible tells us that's exactly what is going to happen on the day of God's rejoicing. He will rejoice over you with singing. He will sing. He is so proud of us. I love what a person commenting on this verse says. He says, the word picture in Zephaniah 3.17 is full of emotion. God the Father is the one who holds his daughter Jerusalem and sings joyfully in her presence. Just like a loving parent cradles a child and sings out of love. So God's song over his people is born out of his great love. Did you catch that? God's singing, God's song over his people is born out of his great love. After a time of hardship, our loving God dries his people's tears, comforts their hearts, and welcomes them to a new world. That is the promise of God. The mighty one who saves is the very same God who will sing over you. Welcome, he sings. Welcome, welcome. This is your eternal home. It's been said that Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17 is one of the most tender verses in all the Bible. Some have called it a biblical lullaby. And I love that caption of a biblical lullaby. 
If you've ever heard of this little lullaby poem that goes something like this. Hush, little baby, don't you cry. Mama's going to sing you a lullaby. And when that lullaby is through, Mama's going to stay right here with you. And if you wake up in the night, Mama's going to make everything all right. Hush, little baby, don't you weep. Mama's going to stay here until you sleep. I wonder whoever wrote that lullaby. I wonder if they read Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, because it mimics the message there. Do not fear. The Lord is in your midst. He rejoices over you. Quiet, hush. Because of his outpouring of love, we can be in stillness as he rejoices over us. God's lullaby to us, to assure us, to encourage us, to put us at peace. Zephaniah 3.17. So much tenderness in this verse. And these from the very same God who earlier in chapter 1 and 2 had such strong judgments against the evil one. And yet in the tenderness of chapter 3, we see that those who are his redeemed people will experience that side of God. As you live this life, give God a reason to be proud of you. If he were to sing about you today, what will he sing about? How have you lived your life that you have given him reason to sing a song about you? It just doesn't get any better than this. To know that there is a day in the future when God is rejoicing over me and he's rejoicing over you. Verse 18. I will gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly who are among you to whom its reproach is a burden. Let me explain this verse that can be hard to understand. You have to understand that at this time, many of the Jewish people who were reading this letter were exiled. They were scattered away from Jerusalem. They could not come back to the city of Jerusalem, either because they were so far away or they were not allowed to. And therefore, they were sad because they could not take part in Jerusalem, the Jewish feasts. They had great memories of celebrating those joyous times in the capital city, and yet now they could not. And being away from Jerusalem, they were sad. But the promise in verse 18 is that the Lord says, I will regather his people Israel in the future to Jerusalem, where instead of sorrow, they will rejoice. And even today, Jerusalem is still a very much a divided city. And the promise of the Lord is that in that great day of the Lord in the future, I will regather the people of Israel back to their homeland as part of my reward to the faithful remnant as prophesied in the Old and New Testament. God says, I will gather those who are homesick so that they will sorrow no more. You know, I know I don't know if you've never I don't know if you've ever experienced homesickness. I, I really never understood homesickness. In fact, growing up, I couldn't wait to get out of the house. I wondered why people would get homesick. Every time I left the house, I was so happy, excited to be away from home. But one thing I forgot was that I could return home at any time I wanted. You see, you get homesick when you can't get back home when you want to, which these Jewish people could not. 
When Cindy and I got married in 2003 in the U.S., we lived there and we spent many Christmases there. And every Christmas, without fail, she would cry. And I would ask her, honey, why are you crying? It is Christmas. You're with me, the one you love. When I say that, she would cry even more. I say, honey, you're in America, the country where so many people want to immigrate to, the land of plenty. Why are you crying? She said, you don't understand. I said, it's Christmas time. Look at the great shopping deals. Everything's on sale. The malls aren't crowded like they are here in the Philippines. It's a great time. She told me it's just not the same. It's not the same as the festivities of Christmas in the Philippines. And I never understood her homesickness until I spent my first Christmas here. In 2005, um, my first Christmas away from my family in the U.S., having taken up the pastorate here, in spite of all the festivities, I was very sad. I couldn't explain it, a longing of spirit. Sidney said to me, oh, why are you so sad? You're eating lechon every day. You're going to two or three parties as the pastor. Why are you sad? I said, it's just not the same. I miss my family. I miss my friends. I miss the familiarity of how we did Christmas where I grew up. I miss the cold. It's hard to celebrate Christmas when you're wearing shorts. I understood what it meant to be homesick. And I began to understand the longing of the Jewish people for land that they remembered with great fondness, but yet were exiled because of their own disobedience. And God said, I will bring you back. And what words of assurance to men and women who are homesick. I will gather you. I will bring you back. That is a part of your rewarding. But there's more. Look at verse 19 and 20. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all who afflict you. I will save the lame. And gather those who were driven out. I will appoint them for praise and fame in every land where they were put to shame. At that time, I will bring you back. Even at the time, I will gather you. For I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth. When I return your captives before your eyes, says the Lord. The Bible says in verses 19 and 20, I will bring those who were weak. I will bring those who were driven out. They will be brought back and they will be restored. Not to a miserable condition, but I will restore you to a condition of, good, of goodness and of good reputation. And I will reward you by restoring you to, note this, fame and praise. It is repeated two times in these two verses. The reason why the great day of the Lord is the great day of celebration number three is that it is a day of God's rewarding. Number three, a day of God's rewarding. God will gather his people. He will reward them. Part of that reward is the return to the homeland. He will restore to those who were driven out in shame and he will bring them back to fame and praise. In the same way, God promises to regather the church. We as believers will be rewarded accordingly at the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. We who currently live in shame according to the world, 
Because we love God so much, we honor him with our lives, we serve others in love. The world says, you are crazy. No one lives like that. Live for yourself. But the Bible says those who currently live in shame by the world standards will be praised and acknowledged. God will bring us home where we belong. And there we'll be honored and rewarded with praise and glory as he has promised. I remember preaching a sermon years ago entitled Homesick for Heaven. It should be online. You can check that out if you want. But it was a sermon that reminded us that this is not our home. The Bible says we are strangers and pilgrims in this land. That's why we can never feel very comfortable living in this world. And young men and young women, men and women, listen carefully. If you feel accepted in this world, if you feel very comfortable in this world, then you are not living a life for Jesus Christ. Because the Bible is very clear. If you live a life for Jesus Christ, you will be uncomfortable, you will be despised, you will be mocked. If you can't fit in to this world, then it is okay because this world is not yours. The Bible tells us in the book of Ecclesiastes that he has created eternity in our heart. The human heart longs for something more. There is a search for significance that cannot be met by worldly things. That search for significance and completeness is found in eternity. A life with our Heavenly Father. That's why the closer we walk with Jesus, the more homesick we are of heaven. And that is a good reminder that we cannot fit into this world. We should be homesick for heaven. But God says one day, I will reward you. On that great day of the Lord, and that day of celebration, it is a day of my rewarding. I will pour upon you great blessings for how you've lived this life. You will be brought back home. And there, what was shame to the world will be expressed in praise and glory for my namesake. Carl Ketcherside was a man who moved to St. Louis, Missouri and ministered among the down and out. At that time, Ketcherside began to work with a group of teenagers he described as a crew of ripped-off, long-haired kids with a history of drug addiction. He loved them, he loved upon them, he listened to them, and he shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one by one, they came to a saving knowledge of Jesus and he baptized them into Christ. An affluent member of the church who did not see a need to reach out to these men asked, Carl, how are you making out with the hippies, those long-haired, sad-looking specimen you have been meeting with? Carl responded, sir, those are not specimen. They are children of God. You're talking about my brethren in the Lord. Condescendingly, the other man continued, Carl... They looked to me like something the cat dragged in. Carl replied, sir, no, they don't. They look to me like someone the shepherd brought home. And I love that last phrase, as Carl puts it. They look to me like someone the shepherd brought home. I think that is what marks all of us. The shepherd has brought us home. 
the shepherd can't wait to reward us by bringing us to our home in glory. He will celebrate for us. He will celebrate with us. To come to that home in glory that we were not deserving of and are not deserving of in our sinful condition. And yet, because he was so excited to bring us home, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to take on the cross our sins, which we deserve to die for. And yet he died on our behalf. So that he can bring us home to lavish his rewards upon us. It doesn't get any better than that. And so as we persevere in the life that we live, suffering discouragement and disappointments, this is our encouragement. God's rewarding will soon come. It is not now, it is in the future. But that is what we should be looking forward to. Notice how this book ends. And I love how it ends. Three words. Says the Lord. This day of celebration is because of God's eternal presence, because it is a day of God's rejoicing and it is a day of God's rewarding. It is not these things because Zephaniah made it up, because some man wanted it this way. It is not some made up story because he wanted the story to end well. The sovereign God who has the freedom and the power to hold and keep his promises, and the God who does not lie says clearly, Thus saith the Lord. And because God says it, it will come to pass. And if you can't get over that fact, if you can't accept that when God says, I said so and believe it, then I don't know what you can believe in. Because of the very word of God says, I said so, it will happen, then you take it at face value as I do. That the God who does not lie, the God who does not change, the God who is omnipotent and sovereign will see to it that we will come home for those who have placed our trust in Him. That is His promise to us. So for a Christian, I were to ask you, what does your perfect day look like? I hope in your heart you can say, my perfect day is soon to come. And that perfect day, which will last for all eternity, is when God will be in my midst, in our midst, where I can look upon him face to face and he will right the wrongs. That perfect day is when God rejoices over me. He is singing a song of praise because I am redeemed. He affirms me. He honors me. He acknowledges me. And that perfect day is when God will reward me and He will bring me to my future home and glory, my true home. And He will say of me, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now to the joy of the Lord. It is a perfect day. Because what more can you ask? And so how then are you living today? Are you living today 
so that you can manufacture a perfect day? Think about that. Or are you living today so that you can experience a perfect day that is not manufactured but real and will last for all eternity? You see, I've told my wife, when I pass from this earth, if she doesn't go before me, I said, I want that to be a day of celebration. I don't want it to be sorrowful because that is the day when it does happen, a day of celebration. It is indeed a promotion in life because it on that day when I leave this earth is the day when I get to see my Lord face to face and there in his presence, all things are made right because on that day he is heaping honor and praise. He's rejoicing over his beloved. He is so proud. And I want to try to live my life to make him proud and have something to sing about. And there, when I leave this earth, is the day that he will pour out his rewards so that I can live in my true home. The day of my departure from this earth and the day of every believer's departure from this earth is a day of great celebration. With that truth in mind, what is your perfect day? How then will you live? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. It is a stark reminder again to me, and I hope to many this morning, that the artificial perfect day we all live for is not the perfect day that you want for us. Help us to look forward from this day forward for the rest of our life to a day when we will see you face to face, to a day when we will experience your loving kindness and we will be rendered speechless by your outpouring of love. We are not deserving, and yet, Lord, by your grace, you enable us to experience all of these. How can we not but live for you? Change our perspective. Help us to have our sights set heavenward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.